I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kia ora, no mai, haere mai, ke Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod once again as we go into the full analysis you expect from us after a big weekend of rugby with the All Blacks beating Argentina again. The Wallabies again knocking over the Springboks and we had a little bit of good NPC Rampley Shield action on the weekend as well. So joining me to break it all down, Bryn Hall, of course. Bryn, mate, it's a big week for the NPC. You boys are just still sitting and waiting. Yeah, mate, we were um, yeah, we were sitting, twiddling our thumbs. Really, it was really um, it was quite tough to watch actually, especially watching the Rampley Shield and then even some of the other matches that were on through the week. Yeah, you kind of get get your feet and um, yeah, the old WhatsApp was going a little bit crazy with a little being a little bit a little bit envious of a lot of the teams. But I know Dripper and the um, Players Association are working really hard behind the scenes to to help out North Harbour counties in Auckland because look, we um, yeah, we want to be out there, we want to be playing, and um, especially with the scenes that we saw at the Rampley Shield on the weekend. Hopefully we can have a few games like that moving forward and very, very quickly. Of course, the other person on the show, James Parsons out of Auckland. Jipper, that Rampley Shield match you mentioned. Geez, Golden Point extra time. We've talked about it before, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. In that case, it was a really good thing. Oh, mate, it was outstanding. And uh, quite frankly, let's be honest, four games isn't enough of that competition a weekend. So the sooner we can get uh, the Auckland teams back into action, the better. Well, before we get into provincial rugby, let's go right to the top. Of course, the All Blacks with another solid win. Let's start with you, James. Two from two against Argentina. Are the team trending in the right position? Oh, absolutely they are. I think the the most important thing is they've given guys a lot of opportunity over the last three weeks. And by and large, every player has taken it. Uh, which poses um, a few selection dilemmas, no doubt. Uh, but that's always a nice place to be as a coach. But I'm sure the coaching group probably had a clear indication of what um, the 23 may look like uh, going into this week already. But with some of the performances on the weekend, uh, guys are certainly putting their hand up. So in, in the areas that um, I suppose they needed to show some growth in, if, if you look at, uh, I suppose, their contestable diffusion, I think around... 33rd minute mark, um, George Bridge, really good under the high ball, but also the escorts and the ability of the players off the ball. I thought TJ Peronaro um, did some great escorts for those uh, back three members to relieve that pressure. So we know that, um, you know, the Springboks might change their tactics, but if not, at least we know that, um, you know, it's a pretty strong um, area of our game, which was probably one of the concerns. I think our Maldi was exceptional. Um, again, a great example of Hoskins and, and Patrick Tuipolotu and, and their angles of pushing the RG um, side 
uh, towards the sideline and it actually enabled that share off which caused them a changing mall and it led to a penalty uh, so you know no heads up all heads down and, and pushing in the right direction together uh, showed me positive signs for where we know that the Springboks will come to to attack them this weekend Bryn, when you look at that, do you think that that's going to be a problem now, the Springboks coming at them in that area? Oh, I, th I think they know it's coming, first and foremost, and I think um, the Australians did a really good job around on the weekend. You know, I even thought when the South Africans played on the weekend, the Corsi and even Mopepe got some really good pay um, getting the ball back. I think they kicked a lot better. Fuff the Clerk kicked a lot better in that second test match compared to the first one we talked about last week. Um, them doing, being a little bit too long and not getting a lot of pay out, a pay out of it, so... I think it was a great, what Jipper said there, because I think George Bridge was, was outstanding in the air, and he's, he's done it for years at the Crusaders, not only chasing his kicks, but I think diffusing bombs when they are coming to him. So it is a bit of a, it's a, it's a, it's a complimenting way to do it because there's so many little pillars around that that makes that, that go a lot easier. Jipper brought up a good point around the escort game and the boys being able to escort because I think they know it's going to come, they know it's going to come, and even talked to the likes of Will Jordan a couple of weeks ago, you know, they had the toodle out you know, pretty early on knowing what's coming, so... They'll be preparing really, really well for it. And um, you look, I think it's going to be something that they're looking they're looking forward to. But I think at the same time, the South Africans are going to have to be able to adapt to the New Zealand style of play because like the attacking brand of rugby that the All Blacks are playing at the moment, just through the, the, the interplay of their forwards, doesn't matter if you're a forward what, from one to one to eight or even coming off the bench, our skill set at the moment is, is above um, above a lot of teams. And if you look at Australia, you know, South Africa operated at 73% um, defence and the last two test matches, they haven't tackled very well. And then you're probably going to go up a level when it comes into the attacking zone of how New Zealand are at the moment. So um, I think all in all, it's a, it's, it's a really good uh, way for us to start. But I think at the same time, South Africa are going to have to seriously look at their defensive system moving forward because New Zealand at the moment um, are going to put on, them under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on their defense at the moment that South Africa just aren't really living up to, which they did in the, in the Lions series. When you look at that and you look at the enterprise, the, the way they're executing, the fact that they're moving up to number one in the world rankings tonight when it's released, is that the rightful place? I mean, world rankings, who knows what they mean, but is that the rightful place for the All Blacks right now? Are they out and out the best team in the world, Jipper? Well, I think on um, current form in the weeks prior, absolutely. But just understanding that um, some teams, you know, they always say, uh, styles make fights um, and some teams enjoy playing against certain styles so don't go into this week thinking it's a given um, for the All Blacks to uh, just just continue that dominance I think they'll they'll need to prepare around that and, and no doubt they will but Springboks All Black tests are always close they're always fierce um, physical and you, you have to win that tactical game and take your opportunities and, and, and by that I mean if you look at the All Blacks game uh, the last two weeks against um, RG is they've created a hell of a lot of opportunities but they haven't been able to finish it just in that first 30 minutes through a little bit of skill execution and accuracies and if you give the Springboks with Rush D opportunity um, for you know those fumble balls they've got enough pace uh, to you know have those 14 point tries that if we get it right we score but if we get it wrong we potentially end up behind our sticks so you know you looked at the support lines on the weekend, a couple of forward passes led to um, tries. I think they'll be working on that little tactic because you always want to be in a position where you can either clean, you can receive a pass, or you can play halfback and, and get that ball up mindset. So, um, you know, s sorting out those support lines so they can make hay while the sun shines and then 
just the catch pass um, the week before, you know, not being able to finish things off or not quite nailing set piece uh, when going to the corner early um, will be will be an area that they'll want to sharpen up on. And I, I think we'd be fools if we sat here and, and thought it was just going to happen because we actually forget sometimes that there's another team out on the field and the execution of the Wallabies, albeit um, it, was, it was sound risk-free footy the week before, I still believe, even though we saw more attacking prowess, it was still sound risk-free footy this week. So a lot of acknowledgement has to go to the way that they performed. And it won't just mm. be status quo, walk out on the field, and that's going to happen for the All Blacks when they play the Springboks. Because yeah. I think as well, I think in that, in that, second, te- in that second test match as well, the South Africans, they changed their game plan a, a little bit. They wanted to play a lot more. Like I think if you saw uh, very early in those passages, they wanted to have an attacking brand of play. You know, you saw them playing whether it be off face play attack or off, off scrum attack or lineouts, be able to get it to width. And so I think probably the movement for the South Africans moving forward is if you look at the difference with the All Blacks, with, with they, when they get the ball to the edge, the ability to square people up and to be able to stay square and then go through the hands and to fix the defense that's in front of them. Because I think at the moment, just the South Africans, they're just going a little bit lateral and not really getting in a position where they can put Mount Pepe away or Nokosi or those boys away. And so I think for me, I enjoyed seeing the South Africans attacking. You know, the likes of Pollock, he's got such a such a great distribution game to be able to give those guys an opportunity um, to attack. But I just think on the edges, if they do get those opportunities, it's to be able to just to stay nice and square and be able to fix the opportunities. Whereas I think a little, they're just a little bit lateral. And sometimes even LaRue as well is putting that little kick in behind. Yes, the fullback is there, but it was very early on the passage of play in that test match when they ended up getting a lot of width going forward and then they just put little kicks in, in behind. So I think that decision-making skills um, just needs to be a little bit better because I think you're not, they're not going to get as many opportunities that they are against the All Blacks, and I think you are right, Jip, you know, they're not going to fall into a false security around um, South Africa, you know, any time we play South Africa, it doesn't matter how they're going, how they're tracking, if they're on a losing streak or whatever, um, it's a completely different test match, and they, if anything, they uh, they grow another arm and leg when they play against us, and knowing that it's a centenary test match between the both both the countries. Those South African tackle stats, though, Jip, they're not great at the moment, are they? No, they're not, and it's an area that we praise them for against the British and Irish Lions. Mm. And, and I think if you look at um, Icky Tao's second try, this is where you start seeing and understanding the dangers of Rush D if you do not get it right and you're not connected to your man inside and out. We saw Pollard rush up to make a tackle, and he slips over. And he slips just because I, I believe there's a little bit of uncertainty on who he was on. And then from that slip over, it obviously enabled Cotton Betty to, to free up Icky Tao. But we've seen that a couple of times in the last few weeks that if you don't nail it inside and out, they have to have the ability to sort of just go, okay, we're numbers down or or the pitches aren't right here or we're not connected and don't go solving issues on your own. You heard Dave Rennie when the Wallabies played the All Blacks. He said, uh, defensively, we're trying to solve issues on our own and we're running out of our system. One of the biggest shifts that the Wallabies have made versus Springboks is they are so set and clear in their system defensively that it's making it hard to penetrate. And it's the same for the Springboks. When they rush up and they're in their system and they know they've got each each other's backs, but more importantly, that they're not so worried about the edge because they believe they can get there. It's it's more being broken through the middle. The week before, Samu Karevi went through Faf de Klerk out wide and that set up a try for... Uh, the winger, um, right winger, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but uh, Callaway, he scored. And obviously, Iki I just used as an example there. Those are the big things. They're getting broken in the middle before getting to the edge, which 
then becomes an easy draw and pass once they're broken through the middle to you know pick players off. So um, it, it certainly will be concerning. But one of the biggest things I think um, need to be nailed is that they have a physical platform up front and start winning collisions. Like some of the fierce collisions in that line series by numbers one to eight in that Springboks pack, were, you know they, they, there was a number of them. Uh, and if they can get back into that and winning and dominating that physical collisions, one, it's easier to defend off because you can buy your defenders time to make decisions. Two, it's easier to attack off because the opposition defence doesn't have time to set and make good decisions. So I think if they can win that physical collision up front, which I think the All Blacks have done so well all year, uh, if the Springboks can match that or bring more, then they bring themselves really into this game. Just more so around the, the Australians, I think you know it needs to be acknowledged. You know, you look about the previous two Test matches against the All Blacks. You know, they probably missed out on the opportunities of scoring points, whether that was through the boot of, um, of Lollisier or just the opportunities when they did get into the twenty-two zone or an attacking opportunity to score points. But you know, that 20-minute 20, 20 trial with Ikitao, I think it's going to be a really good learning for the for the South Africans coming forward to the New Zealanders because the animation of that move, of the face play shape, off that. You had the downline runner, you had the out the back, and you had a rover in and around that kind of uh, face play attack. And so New Zealand are very similar around that. So I think it's great pitches for the South Africans moving forward that if they don't get that physicality right in the middle of the field, like Jipper alluded to, then it's going to give opportunities to really stress that defense on the edge, which we know doesn't matter if you're a world-class defender as a, as a midfielder or a loose forward in those positions. It's really hard to defend if you don't have a defensive line that's really set. And then from that, you know, you look at the the skill set of the, you know, the probably um, Corabetti's second try, um, his first try, um, with the ability to go on the edge and, and telling Alatupo, you know, with him with um, ball in space, running down the line and gives a no look pass to Corabetti. But you know, it's those kind of opportunities there that it doesn't matter what position you are, whether you're a forward or a back, having those opportunities to have the skill set to put under pressure and then to finish off with those those opportunities. I think the Australians didn't nail that in the in the New Zealand leaders low test matches, but you know. And most of those games that they have played the last two sets test matches, whether that be off the point, um, the boot of Quade Cooper, or the ability of their attack, they're really getting paid with the amount of opportunities that they had that they have had. Bryn, I reckon that comes back to their risk-free footy. So you, you say they didn't achieve it against the All Blacks because the All Blacks defence didn't give them the pitches. Because the Springboks mm. are coming out and they drag out in that line speed, it gives them the ability to manipulate. You use the try of um, Cotton Betty off the two props. You know, uh, uh, Young just scoops it on quickly, suck the defender out, and then Tupo sucks the last defender out, and then that takes care of itself. Spoke about the downline of Karevi on Ikitao's second. Mm-hmm. It's actually the personnel. Is, you know, if you look at Karevi, he, he sucks in attention, doesn't he? You know, if mm-hmm. he's running a downline, you have to mark him because if he gets mm-hmm. it, he's scoring. And if you don't mark him, and that creates space. So, Again, now that everyone's in a system in terms of the Wallabies and they're all buying into that system and playing their roles within it, it's creating opportunities. And through that, because they're buying the time and putting defence under pressure, they're picking the right opportunity. Let's not forget all the intercept passes that were against the Mm. All Blacks that turned the momentum. The inaccuracy at set piece turned the momentum. They're nailing their set piece. They're nailing their option taking, all due to the fact because in both sides of the ball, attack and D, they are in the systems together and they're connected with their mate inside and out. And, it, and it's just too, it, if you just keep coming, it's just too hard to deal. You know what it's like, Bryn? It's like a relentless wall and, and you know, eventually they crack. Mm. Just a quick reminder for everyone what a downline is. That is a runner coming back against the grain, right, Bryn? 
Yeah, sorry, so if I just use my hands as, as an example, so you've kind of got, um, you've got one guy here, that he's the front ball, and you've got someone in, in the back, and so he's running down a, a hard down line, and then he's going out the back, just like kind of like a league play. So it's kind of manipulated. So Kirby, for example, in that, in the example that we're using, Kirby ran a down line, he hit Korobedi out the bat. So obviously they ran like a, kind of a line like that. And then there's a rover inside um, Korobedi to be able to hold that last defender. So the face play attack that the Australians have had, you know, we talked around the bridge passes and against the All Blacks, they had a lot of four men flat, just flat line. So defensively, it's really easy to be able to count the number that's in front of you knowing that, okay, there's one, two, three, four. And it's really easy, for, especially with how the All Blacks have the two guys in the, in the pendulum at the back to keep our wingers high. It's a really easy decision for our wingers to make, especially if you've done the job in the middle of the field and you've slowed down their ball and it's not quick. That's when we saw um, the, the bridge passes getting intercepted. But whereas on the weekend, when you have the go forward ball um, and you're not set in your defensive line and you've got um, a set play like Chipper talked to you around, they're just making it real clear what their roles are. It's really, really hard to defend. And so, you know, if we even look at Quade Cooper, in the very first test match, when they had the two down runners that hit Karibi out the back, does a bit of footwork and puts Korobedi away for that first try. So the decision-making that they are making on their edge compared to the bridge passes, we talked around they needed to find a solution um, moving forward against the South Africans. And I, look, I think their attacking plan has been great um, compared to when they had in the All Blacks. So they've made some massive shifts around that. So you've got to give it up to their um, attacking coach around making the solutions that they had compared to the All Blacks. So Dave Rennie be pretty happy with the progress being made there, Chipper. Well, we mentioned it, didn't we? They were in control of the errors. So they, they, if they could sort themselves out, we knew they'd be in test matches. We knew they had the ability and the engines to dominate. It was just about not making themselves their own worst enemy. And, and they've, like the growth and, and the ability to execute it against, um, you know, going into those two tests, it was almost more pressure because of what the expectation of the Springboks and for them to deliver a game plan and have the discipline to stay in it. Like it's the discipline of making those options right because everyone's staying in the system. And then there's a lot of opportunities. Like let's look at Samu's composure for Kodumbedi's second try. He could have easily thrown an offload or looked for support or, or over pushed it, but he mm. goes to ground and then it's an easy, you know, same way play and, and no one's in front of Kodumbedi. So those are the sort of things where they've grown the most, which is creating these opportunities and the ability mm. to make better decisions because they've created time for themselves by not pushing it, not pushing the envelope. I think one thing as well, Chip, that they have done really well, and we talked about um, in the last couple of podcasts around the decision-making of when to kick the ball, because I think even they talked around previously, they played too much. They didn't like, you know, the All Blacks would have a lot of position. We talked around... They had you know, the majority of the position, one that had more ball, had more territory, but they obviously played too much and then a turnover of the click attack of the All Blacks then scored points. But look, I think, you know, they had 27 kicks and the South Africans had 28 kicks. So they got that balance right of being able to understand, had a look, had the opportunities, and they did actually score off those opportunities. But I think their decision-making around their contestable game and being able to kick it long and exert pressure, that way even Quade Cooper, uh, a couple of times, he would kick it down the middle of the field and actually find grass and then LaRue would end up kicking it back and it ends up being a, a line out for the Wallabies or just on halfway. So I think their decision-making skills were a lot better with their kicking game and it's actually probably a good way for the All Blacks if you think about it. You know, for the majority of the rugby championship, you know, they've had, you know, the kind of 200 passes and playing with a lot of ball and due to their skill execution. But, you know, if South Africa can get to the ways of how they defended in that British-Irish line series around 90% and really suffocating teams, 
And I think the ability of the All Blacks to be able to have that kicking game, whether it be off Perinara, whether whoever starts at nine, or even Bowden Barrow with the contestables off 10, and trying to put pressure onto the South Africans that way as well. What do you guys make of Damien McKenzie? His trip to 10 uh, on the weekend, it was only his second ever start at 10 for the All Blacks. He seemed to play kind of within himself, James? Oh, I, I think it was no different to when we saw him move there for the Chiefs. There was a lot of talk going, oh, you know, is he going to be able to inject himself? What sort of you know balance of attack is he going to have? And, and, he, and he played that same role. And I think that's what, what we were mentioning, you know, earlier in the year is his growth at 10 at super rugby level has enabled him to be a better fullback because of his ability to step up as first receiver, but almost also understand that game management. And, and he just looked at home and he understands that it doesn't need to be about him as such in that 10 role. It's about, you know, picking off the right opportunities, you know, like a chess game. If we, if we can suck a few things in here, then it's going to open up somewhere there. And that's what he looked like. You know, he looked like a real um, experienced general at test match level when playing in that 10 role. So I think it's great for the All Blacks again in, in terms of depth and what role he can potentially play off the bench now is, is that dual pivot. Mm. I think there what that shows... parallels there, right, with Quade Cooper, who's done a very similar thing. I, I think so, but a, a little bit different in the sense that Damien has started showing that growth throughout the Chiefs season, whereas, you know, Quade probably understood, you know, from a risk manager. I think Quade still got that game in him. Um, he has that ability to to set things like just like Damo, but I think it's it's their selfless nature that that is very similar in the roles that they showed on the weekend. Is they're very much where can I best put this team in a position to win this game? I think you've got to give um, Brad Moore and Ian Foster a pat on the back with the attack shape, Jip, because when you can have you know, Richie Moanga. Bowden Barrett and Damien McKenzie, three different teams being able to operate a game plan at test level. It just comes back to how good that attack shape is at the moment. We, we talked about um, the evolution of the game plan. You know, when Richie was in there, very similar to the Crusaders, you have the three three forwards playing out the back and the two forwards outside of that running to that hard space. And so, you know, that's that's kind of been put in the last probably 12 months. And I think it comes back to, yes, everybody knows their role. And at the moment, the All Blacks interplay with the forwards and the, the breakdown has been really massive around there. But I think, you know, you've got to put your a pat on the back for the for the attacking group when you've got, you know, three different tens that come in or even changes in the back line, changes in your forward pack. You know, there was a, a lot of changes in that game, but it just felt like it was um, very similar to what we've seen the whole test matches through the whole year, especially in this rugby championship series, that it just seems like they just keep going, keep moving forward due to the, the base of someone, they're all clear and knowing exactly what their role is in the attack shape of what they have at the moment. I think, um, you know, absolutely credit to the, the attack shape and, and Brad and, and Fozzie, but man, I, I, I think the forwards and Plum need the pat because there there is no attack shape if you're not winning collisions and you're not winning the breakdown. Like, like that's their biggest area of growth. Like Some of their clinical cleans, like that one cleaner ball up, Perinara's got that ball out. Um, you know, and they're allowing them to play at that speed and, and, you know, make defenders make decisions which create opportunities. But they're giving themselves time because of that quick ball and that physicality, the breakdown. Agreed that the attack shape really suits their skill set and the ability to manipulate and score tries um, from anywhere on, on any parts of the field. But I've just been blown away by it doesn't matter who comes in. It's almost next man up and that physical yep. mindset. But also their discipline to stay in their roles 
Um, and I, I think mm. that's showing none other than their, their second pod, Bryn. So they hit yeah. hard and direct on that first forward pod. And then if you watched early on, Quintapaya was involved so much out the back of that pod. Or if it wasn't, you know, the, the ball carrier would find a weak shoulder and get through. And it's, I, I believe mm. it's all from the tip tip player, the, 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 the third forward on the edge. And the thing is, I suppose Ethan Blackhead is the best example of it. He goes really wide and he comes in hard. A couple of times he got the ball in a tip, but because he goes wide, it spreads the D a little bit. So if that D is more worried about Ethan, it opens up the opportunity for a Patrick um, or a Tupo Vai to use a little bit of footwork, get on the outside, mm. and that's quick gain line carry. Or they cram mm. up and they want to, the Argies want to win that collision against Paddy and Ethan, out the back to Quinn. And then Quinn finds space on the edge. But it's because mm. of that first up ruck and that physicality of their breakdown opens up their whole attack mm. play. Well, even look at um, Scott Barrett in that last try to Tupo Vai, Chip. I think it's a perfect example of it. You know, Scott Barrett at the moment, whenever he's carrying, the ability to have that triple, well, not triple three. He obviously, he might be able to kick, but I don't think he can kick. So let's just say two, a two kind of two-man play. That he's got the ball carrier first mindset. He's got the tip, but his ability to be able to go through contact and then the offload to Tupo Vai is, I can see that's where they are at the moment. They're making really good decisions, but. Like you said, I think it's really important moving forward against the South Africans. Because if you're the South Africans and you, you want to preview the All Blacks, and no difference how Fiji or the teams that have, have, you look at last year, the Argentinians, when they had success against us and the Wallabies, if they don't want that breakdown battle, I can imagine in their camp, that's all they'll, they'll be massively talking around it. And the fact that they've had two losses, and they want to bring that physicality back and slow down that All Blacks ball, because at the moment, the decision-making around where they are going, whether that's going out the back to Damo, even Quinn with the example that you used, Jip, or their brutality and their cleans of when they do make the decision to go forward, um, it's pretty it's pretty impressive to watch at the moment. But yeah, if you're a South African team, I can imagine that um, the whole week they'll be talking about that physicality battle and slowing down that all-black ball. But let's let's be, be clear. The breakdown starts in the tackle. So they've got to win that mm. tackle collision. You talk about Barrett. The only reason he can get that offload away is because he's won the collision in the carry. Yeah. So I know it sounds so simple, but it's so hard because the more collisions yep. you can win, the faster your ball, the less men you need to clean uh, rucks, which means more numbers on feet, more threats to de think about for defence, and buying yourself time. Uh, it, it is yeah. They have just got their mojo in that pack at the moment, and I know I'm a forward and I'll harp on about it, but there is no attack shape or perfect ball without the boys up front doing that work. Feel free to harp on about some Sony Tokiaho. Oh, <laughs> mate, talk about making every post a winner. The, one, the things that I'm most impressed, we know he can carry, we know he can hit defensively, we know he's a ball of energy, but his his work at set piece is just exceptional. I'm so happy for him. Uh, you know, he has just gone in there, he's nailed his darts, and I, and I think Patrick needs a bit of a pat on the back as well on the weekend. You know, his line-out option calling was exceptional and, and he found space and he made a starting debut easy for a hooker and and that's a great growth in Paddy's game and, and and I think you know once you nail your set piece or you know in Samasoni's case when he nails a set piece you know the other stuff's going to be even more electric because he's going to be feeling a million bucks and he's going to be able to nail those collisions even more so and and the ball just seems to be following him you know because of his work rate and his energy and his want to get his hand on the ball, it's just, you know, it's almost like he's everywhere. 
and and then defensively, I think he's great as well. He's making some great reads off the back. The line out there, you know, really physical on the edge. Um, he's just having a hell of a hell of a year. Um, he was exceptional for the Chiefs, but he's lifted again for me. And, and I think it's a lot to do with the people that are surrounding him in this all black environment. Mm. Where's he in the pecking order, Bryn? Has he jumped up a bit? Do you think? Oh, I think he's made every post a winner, and I think you know. If you look even last week. We, I thought Safar Moore was fantastic uh, on the weekend as well. We know how great his ball carriers, and I think the important thing going into a test match like you are going to play the South Africans, you want to win your set piece. And look, when you're operating at a hundred percent, and I'm, you know, he had his stories before Cody Taylor came on, but you know, he's nailing his set pieces, core cool roles, and, and the scrummaging. Having Joe Moody back in the scrums is obviously going to help with that. But you know, it takes a it takes all eight to be able to. To, to get that, that set-piece parity that they did on the weekend. So, look, I think he's made every post to win, and I, I don't think he's going to jump in front of Cody, but, you know, that kind of coming off the bench role, it's going to be a really um, interesting selection because Asafa, with his opportunities, has played really well. But if you're looking at Samasoni and the way that he's gone, you know, he's, if anything, Jip, you'd probably be able to give more of, like, a bearing around where you think it is, but look, I would not not be surprised if Samasoni was... Um, the second the second in, second in the pick order moving forward with the South Africans in the last two test matches. Yeah, look, I have a pretty simple answer to that because I think Colsey, Cody, uh, Asafa and Samasoni all are electric around the field, defensively and on attack. They can all be over the ball. They can all clean rucks with physicality. They can, you know, they've got that expansive game with ball in hand. Comes down to set piece. We've just spoken about you mm. can't, you can't have attack shapes. You can't have, you know, defensive systems. You can't have, you know, innovation on attack off scrums without your set piece. So the, the the player that keeps turning up week in, week out and nailing their core roles will get the nod. And then on top of that, I think if there is a 50-50 decision, I think you have to go with experience. Runs on the board. It, it pays for a massive thing when the pressure comes on. So Chip, who would you go? Let's take away, take away Colsey. Obviously, if Colsey's fit, then you take him and Cody, no doubt about it. But with what the points that you brought up, Asafa Amoy and... Tokiaho have had some great opportunities with each other. Where where would you go if you had to choose between those two? I think you'll start Cody, um, especially in a big yep. test yep. like South Africa. Um, and then I, th I think he's in hot touch and, and Tokiaho. I'm a big fan of the Safa and, and I don't think there's too much between them in terms of set piece. Mm. But the, the role he played with Moody in that scrum was pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, like the work and the pressure that they put um, the Argentinian tight head and hooker under actually separated the hooker when they came from that over top view separated them from uh, the hooker separated them from uh, the Argentinian loose head I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And that created a gap and space for Lomax to go in. And because of that work and the squareness and the pressure they were putting through on the left-hand side, opens it up for a guy like Lomax or um, you know Gus or whoever it is at tight end, offer when he came on, just as destructive. And if you split a hooker and a loose head and you get through that gap, she's good night nurse. Actually, Nepo Lalala as well. You know, you've seen the power of these athletes. If you give them a gap, and, and, and all their weights transferred through, which the back five are doing such a great job in the pack. They're scrum first mentality and then tackle or then clean uh, their Lucy's and the locks. We know they're all workhorses. But if you give that space and that peel, set piece time for Lomax and, and offer to take, Nepo Laulala, oh, it's exciting to watch. I know people don't get up about scrums, but that over angle was something beautiful. You could just see the hard graph of Tokiaho and Moody open up an opportunity that Lomax just took. <laughs> I take it you enjoyed it. Oh, I loved it, mate. <laughs> it was, I love that camera angle from above. You know, there's nothing better for coaching or learning as a player that angle as a front row because you can see where you, you know, you can see that um, Montoya is disconnected from his loose head and it just leaves him so isolated and almost you can leave him behind. So it becomes all that pressure is going on two people in the front row. So could you, if you were to be looking at scrums breaking down, collapsing, all those kind of things, if the refs were to get a bird's eye view over the top, do you think they could get the calls probably better because they'd have a better understanding of who's doing what? No, not for the referees. Maybe angles, maybe, but not for referees. It's more for you as a player. Uh, you can get some great vision and footage of yourself. Um, but I think refs have got the best... Um, position to make any decisions around collapses or uh, people not holding their own weight or what, whatever it may be. They're, they're right in the box seat. I'd love to be out there where the refs sit. That's even better than the camera angle. <laughs> the halfbacks get a pretty good view too, right, Bro? Oh, 100%. I'm just trying to milk my side. If he's going down, I, he's, go, he's been doing it all day, sir. He's been doing it all day. And it's really hard on. <laughs> I've, um... I've played Bryn and we've had a dominant scrum. And he's almost t telling the ref, convincing him into penalising us. It's like, mate, you've got no clue what's going on in here. Can you just pipe down? <laughs> what I'd say usually, um, Ross, what I'd say for, to try back up my point, as Joe Moody sort or even Owen Franks when we had um, when we had a lot of All Blacks in the pack, I'm saying, mate, look, these guys are All Blacks, mate. We don't want to be dealing with this the whole day. Like, just give us the penalty. Like, just give us the penalty <laughs> and just start trying to trying to manipulate it that way. You're right, though. Absolutely no idea. Have no idea. Mate, I hope the refs listen. Got a few penalties, though. Got a few penalties in my time, though. <laughs> don't know if it was, I don't know if he was listening to me as a as a player or just he made the decision. Mate, I don't think I had any bearing on that. Your props got the penalties, not you. Let me make that clear. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Good Lord. It's a team effort. <laughs> Oh, I think I've done. Please. Mate, oh no. But no, no I, won't, I won't try to explain that. It's all good. Yep. <laughs> he's not half back. He's half front row, mate. That's, he's, he's given the penalties away. <laughs> Left, right, and centre.
that's the that's the problem with halfbacks. They actually probably think that and believe because they're so competitive that they could get in there and do it. No way, <laughs> absolutely not. I've seen Nepal Olala's neck, mate. I don't need that in my life. Oh, how good was it seeing Moody just do another crushing hit off the kickoff? It's like that everyone's just pumped to have that over the top tackle now. Oh, I know. It's good to see him. He looked good as a water boy, I must admit, when he came, he was a water boy one week. But um, it was, yeah, you could tell Jip that his scrummaging, uh, you know, he's one of the best in the world. And so anytime you can get a guy like that coming back in, um, the depth that they have of the propping at the moment and knowing that the South Africans were dominant, you know, they have a dominant scrum, which they backed themselves in that British and Irish Lions series and even parts of that Australian uh, couple of test matches. It's going to be, yeah, a good encounter knowing that, you know, he's had that, that game in front of him moving forward. Joe Moody's performance is exactly what we're talking about. Sometimes it doesn't get the credit it deserves because of the selfless mm. nature of their role in the system. And the fact that they're doing something that holds a defender, they're doing their core roles, they're cleaning rucks, they're doing the things that aren't on the highlight reels. And it's such a crucial role. And someone like Joe doesn't need plaudits. He knows he's nailed his job and he gets on and gets off and doesn't overemphasize over anything. And that's what makes him so good. His plaudits come each week, right? When he's on the team sheet every single time. Absolutely. And that's that's your biggest currency, isn't it? Playing more often than not. But speaking of that, uh, Lockie Swinton. Um, should he be playing? Should he not be playing? Got a yellow card on the weekend. Obviously, he's got a bit of a history with this. Um, his arm looked cocked. Um, he was in a dangerously high position. Um, the result wasn't that bad. Bryn, what did you make of that? To be honest, I didn't think it was a yellow card offence, if I'm being honest. Like, I know that we talk around a lot around shoulder going to head, but I actually thought his shoulder was to shoulder, and his shoulder didn't even didn't even get up into position to where it hit his head. So when they talked about the red card, I was just like, man, that is just that is a terrible call. That is just the wrong call to go like that. And thank God there was a bit of common sense around. The, the match official upstairs said to me, said, oh, I, I think it's a little bit different. I think it went shoulder to shoulder first, and then he said, oh, can I see another angle? And luckily, they went to a yellow card, which I think is probably fair. Fair, But even for me personally, I actually didn't think it was a yellow card offence. I think he did enough to wrap his arm around. And the fact that um, the South African ball player dropped just a, a tad, it wasn't the fact that he was going for hitting his head. The shoulder didn't hit the head at any time. The, the arm didn't go up to his head at any time. So I don't think it was a penalty. I don't think it was a, a yellow card offence. But um, you can see that... The movement for is to look to look after the players, and they are going to keep consistently making those calls, which they base for, for player welfare. But for me personally, I just didn't even think it was a, a yellow card offence at all. I'd be interested to see had Van Mullen not stayed down, would it have even been reviewed or uh, spoken about? Uh, because it was definitely shoulder on shoulder. But we're, we're getting to a stage in this game where there has to be consequences for a high tackle height. Because on this occasion, it was shoulder to shoulder. But the next, it might not be because of the angle or, or however it's it's fraught. Because when he decides to hit, Swinton goes for it and he commits fully. Uh, so I, I think it's more around that and making sure that it brings about a change in his training habits to bring about a change in the game so that it's not even in a 50-50 decision. It's, it's not, we're not worried about if it's yellow or red. He's dropped his body height. He's hitting under the ball or hitting the rib cage, and he's looking to wrap. And I think that's what that decision was about, is saying, hey, mate, too often enough, you are up you know, in these problem areas, these 
troublesome areas, you need to make a shift in your training habits to get a better outcome on the field. For yourself, for your teammates, for the game, right? You don't want to be in a 50-50 position. Well, look, you do here. You get you get told to be able to, to take it out of the, the ref's hand. So I think having the great the, te- the tackle technique first and foremost is getting that right, getting it low below the below the chest. So then you take all that um, that that play out. So you know the ref isn't then going upstairs and having a look whether you think it's right or wrong. So I think I look at for the Crusaders, for example, you know Razor always hops around around tackle technique. Make sure you get lower than the chest. Don't let the refs make a decision around it. So I think. You know, Swinton with his tackle technique probably needs to go away a little bit and then take that decision out for the ref. But I think for me, it, it was just that I completely agree with Jip around it's the process around you've got to get your tackle technique right. But it's just in that situation, just just for what it was, I just didn't think it was a yellow card offence. But I can understand the reason why it was. But at the same time, I think you know if Van Mullen doesn't go down, you know, I don't think we're looking at it. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. I think yeah, it's a tough one. It doesn't matter what tackle technique you take at Taniela Tupo. Um, he is pretty damn hard to stop. Um, is he now the top number three for the Wallabies, Jipper? Look, I, I think he has been for a while. Like, like some of his performances in Super Rugby AU and uh, when he's come up against the, the Kiwi size and the Trans Tasman, he, he his fundamentals of his game, we spoke about Moody earlier and, and how he just nails his set piece roles. Um, are, are outstanding and, and that's been the biggest growth We again we always knew his skill set with ball in hand he even joked I think at a press conference during the week he wanted to play 10 and put Quaid on the bench you know so that's when you do know a team's in good spots but you as a player is in good spots that you're that relaxed and you know that you're coming into a fixture and he can sort of be branded as that impact player at test match level but I, I think he's shown enough like he went 76, 77 minutes might even gone, uh, I think Ben Robinson came on real late. Um, So the big fella can go. He's got fitness, he's got a big tank, and he wants to be in the game. You know, we spoke about Takiaho, almost the ball's everywhere he is. So because they're they're wanting so much to be involved in the game that it finds them. And and, um, Taniela loves a collision, whether he's on the other side of the ball or he's ball in hand. And... He's got the deft touch to read defences as well, to manipulate and not make it all about the big collision as well. So he's got a great balance in his game um, around the field, but I think his biggest growth has been in and around his set-piece work. And I think as well, I think as well, probably his fitness, and I think that might have been the reason why they thought around having him off the bench, bringing him on for that 30 minutes and not, you know, having the ability to play play that long. But if you look at his time with the Reds and be able to start... he played the majority of those games, played a lot of minutes in those games. And then you think, okay, all right, let's give this guy an opportunity to be able to start a little bit more. Because I think, look, if he can nail a set piece around a scrum, been dominant in scrums, his work rate around the field, then that's when his, his, then his ball and out ability that he has with ball in hand, if he can get those three, three things right, he's not only the best prop in Australia, at number three in Australia, then you get to start having the conversation of him being the best prop in the world. Those kind of scenarios, if he can keep nailing those things consistently. So I definitely think his trajectory is going upwards. And so... His fitness has been a lot better. Look, he played seventy, you know, played deep into the seventy-minute mark um, against the South Africans, which is obviously really tough. Not only just scrummaging, but around the park and physicality. So, if he can keep continue winning those things and getting better consistently, then you know, come World Cup time, we could be talking about Tanelia Tupo being one of the best pops in the world. Yeah, well, thankfully, I think you know you spoke about that that mall stuff as well. Like, thankfully, mm. the Wallabies 
they must have been listening to this podcast, maybe, I don't know, but they stopped competing um, in the air and they stayed down. And, and I mean, I think late in the game, I can't remember what time it was, but they pushed the Springboks out and got a turnover mm-hmm. at mall time. And, and they just had their heads down. One, one thing, maybe, you know, Phillips is still looking to swim over the top and, and put a disruption. That might be part of their system. But I think even if you got his head down and buried, yeah. that will be even better uh, defensively in that mall. And, and it was just great to see that they realized the adjustment was, hey, these guys scored three mall tries. We've got some business yeah. here. And they took out the 50-50 of trying to steal a line-out against one of the best line-outs in the world and said, let's just hook in and stop it. And that dented the momentum because Bryn alluded to the Springboks actually came to play but they just couldn't get the platform that they used to from from that set piece and he's a massive part of it because he sits at the back behind Philip and he comes hoovering him from a good angle legal angle timing perfectly and allows them to start shunting it towards the sideline yeah I think I think it was around that night (laughs) yeah Sorry, just to, just to get one more point around that, because it was, it was a, the game was kind of in the balance around, it was 30-17, but it was kind of the 70 minute, 70, 73rd and 76 minute mark, you know, that's when you talked around the line-out more drip, and look, if you're, a, for the majority of that game before that point, before that time, you know, they did a really good job being able to stop it, but if you think, you know, it's the 70th minute, they've just been coming at us, coming at us, and then they stop a play around that, the one you're talking about where they shoot it towards the sideline, and then Hooper makes a, a massive steal to pretty much seal the game in that scenario. You've got to take a massive pat on the back to the forward coach because, look, having three line and more scored against you, and, and like it's, it's not an easy, it's not an easy fix if you think about it. There's a lot of idiosyncrasies and there's a lot of little details that you need to get right. And for the fact that they did it on a short week to be able to have no try scored against them, yes, there might have been one penalty through obviously Swinton trying to do something um, to try to stop it. But look, when you've got that kind of growth going forward, um, it just comes back. We talk around their phase play attack. The solutions that they made from that, not with the intercept pass and their phase play shape around making it real clear and simple. And then you look, you turn around six, seven days later and you give away no line out more tries, especially in those kind of dying minutes where South Africa keep throwing the kitchen sink, sink at them and they just made um they made their post every post to one in that department. We've 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 delivered a lot of positives around that area, but one thing is like I've always sat in a review room and I and I, and so often the coach will say, you know, what's the biggest way we can stop this driving mall? And everyone pipes up, we've got to stay down, we've got to get in this angle, our timing's got to be right, lowest man wins. But it's your penalties. Giving them the ability to piggyback up the field is just putting you in a vulnerable state that you don't need to. Energy you don't need sapped out of the tank. Yep, they can do it. They've shown it in spades. But 17 penalties, 60% possession to the spring box, you know, they're too good to miss out twice. So, you know, I still think they need to take control of that area and their discipline was the same the week before allowed the Springboks into their 22 and they scored three. 17 penalties this week. I mean, you just can't give teams at the higher level that much opportunity. Uh, Karebi, Cooper, Rodder, Corin Betty and McMahon's coming back as well. A whole bunch of these Wallabies guys that are going pretty well are either based overseas or about to be based overseas. Bryn, is the ghetto law something that needs to be loosened? Oh, look, I think it, it, it depends, really, because at the same time, you want South African rugby, and generally you talk around the um, Super Rugby AU or Super Rugby trans when we played, you want your players to be able to keep being developed and coming through that, that program. And yes, you could have the odd person that 
that might come back, like a McMahon that we use as an example. But look, I think that's really important for Australian rugby. Yes, the Wallabies are doing great around them. We did talk around, they have the ability, great ability to be able to, when they do come together, they've got enough great players, the 30 to 40 players, to be able to bring all the teams together, even though they didn't perform well at Trans-Tasman. They can be competitive and then win games against South Africa, you know, possibly New Zealand moving forward. But I think it's really important for South African rugby that their domestic sides get the development coming through and they keep they keep keep doing that. So if they open up the ghetto law and they can start picking guys from overseas um, consistently, then look, I think the the Trans Tasman in Australia will really really be um, at a negative. And look, it was it was tough last year. Look, they had two wins against the New Zealand teams in Super Rugby. So um, I think if they open that law then it's going to kind of be a hindrance towards um, the Super Rugby teams uh, moving forward in our competition. I, I agree with Bryn. Like that, that growth and having those sorts of players in and around your Super teams to foster that development of players mm. at, at the lower level. But I think they've made a decision to do so because these players are seeking those opportunities. So you have to come up with a solution that is going mm. to work for all. And I think if they put a cap on it, say, okay, we open up the ghetto law for 10 players. And be real clear so you have to be real rigid and, and know the positions you might be weak in and look to bring them back and i know it's a little bit restrictive but you can't have all your top line players going oh well i want to do that too and 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 leaving your sort of um your i suppose your uh, pathways decimated because there's nothing being filtered back down because right. it's it can't be it's just unmeasurable experience and international guys coming back into the environments showing how they train, the standards they set, their, their, their prep during the week. We see the Saturday, but so often or not, we hear coaches or we hear players saying, oh, I've nailed my Sunday to Friday. That's allowing me to play well on Saturday. Well, the only way you learn that is by if you're lucky enough to stay around long enough, but if you're smart enough to watch the guys that have been around for a number of years and go, how do they do it? How does he prepare? Go talk to them and grow that way. So it just needs to be a balance for me if they want all of Aussie rugby to be successful. Mm. Mm. The same applies for here, right? They've, they've found some loopholes with going to Japan for little bits here and there, but really you need to be looking after your home sponsors as well and you've got to have people around in New Zealand. Well, I think what New Zealand have done really, really well is um, they obviously have the select few players that they kind of see. You, you can have a sabbatical around, you know, you look at... Um, TJ, uh, Bodie, Brody, those boys have the opportunity to go and um, experience something different. But what they re do really well in New Zealand is they look after the guys that are just on, just on the brink or have been around you know, that kind of five to seven years mark. And they really um, keep those players in New Zealand with how they develop the contracts and the loyalty schemes, what New Zealand Rugby Players Association and New Zealand Rugby Union do really, really well. So I think that's what New Zealand do really well. Yes, we're fortunate enough that like, we've got talent from younger levels, whether it be New Zealand schools at a 20 program, the Mighty 10 Cup system for guys to be able to just come through that academy system, just leaving the school to then play Mighty 10 Cup, which is at a really a pretty good high level for guys coming out of school and then that transition to Super Rugby. So, But I think, again, what New Zealand rugby do really, really well is you keep those guys with Jipper Talks around. So how do you prep really well? There might be that guy that's been there for five to eight years, but you know, has, has, has got a real great prep and understanding what it takes to be a professional rugby player, hasn't buggered off, and then you get that at the Mighty 10 Cup level, they say, oh, okay, this is what it looks like to be a super rugby player. So I think that's a real positive um, that I think New Zealand rugby do really, really well compared to other players, uh, other countries in the world. We also have this thing called the all-black jersey. Mm, yep. And and I yep. think that holds a lot of players. You look at 
Brad Weber, for example, you know, he could have commanded plenty of dough overseas, overseas, but you know, he, he wants a hundred Chiefs caps and he wants to be in that All Blacks um, environment. And that's what's so addictive and, and you know, a, a thing that just keeps you, you know, staying here and, and driven to um, succeed or, or play a part in that black jersey. I haven't heard about this loyalty scheme before, Bryn. What kind of things are on the table in the loyalty scheme? <laughs> Just open my mouth there, haven't I? No, look, I think they just um, they just look after the players. So I think you know, for New Zealand rugby, you look. It's talked a lot, a, a lot in the media around the guys that you know that are just on the cusp or that have been around a, a long time. You know, how do we keep those guys in rugby? So you know, I won't go into details of how they do that, but they've got a plan in place to be able to keep those players here. And so, you know, you look at you know, guys that are in that kind of realm that have been around here for seven years. And, you know, they're still in New Zealand, still want to play competitive rugby, still want to play really, really well. Um, there's, play, there's things for, for them to be able to stay around. And so I think you look at probably other countries where you're not in that kind of frame or all-black frame or uh, international frame for a different country, then you're going to go overseas because, you know, the money's much greater over, over overseas. Whereas New Zealand, there's, there's plans in place to be able to, to keep those guys in the country to then be able to help the young fellas coming through, which... Chipper alluded to, you know, you, how does he prep? How, what's, how do you become a professional rugby player? How do you do it for so long? And so keeping those guys in New Zealand, I think, is really important. It's something that I think um, collectively through the New Zealand Players Association, New Zealand Rugby Union contracts, they do a really good job around keeping those guys here to, to upskill and bring these young fellas coming through. That was an outstanding job of answering the question without answering the question. I really appreciate it. <laughs> you did really well. Jibber can, can probably go on a little bit more if he wants to. Been in the um, no, out of now. It's just, it's just rewarding, you know, loyalty. Like anything, if, you, if you, you've sustained loyalty, it doesn't keep everyone, though. Um, and, mm. and as I say, I, I, it's a factor, but I don't think it's the biggest factor. I... I, I Maybe it's just a personal feeling or a personal opinion, but I just think that all-black jersey, mate, it still holds a hell of a lot of power um, for, for young guys coming through the system and wanting to get a taste of it, be a part of it. It's, it's pretty special. Hey, let's talk about that all-blacks jersey for this weekend. Is it a straightforward win for you? I know you said that it's this, never against the Springboks, but it's a win for the all-blacks this weekend for both of you. You first, Brent? Oh, I don't think it's, it's a foregone conclusion at all. I think any time, you know, we talk around the South Africa, New Zealand test match, it's something different. You know, they're great as far as the centenary test match is going to be on the line as well. And look, any time the South Africans lose, you know, they'll be hurting. And I think the thing that the South Africans can get right, look, we know that they're going to be able to, they're going to kick the ball. Um, they're going to be able to put pressure through for the Clerks game um, with that contestable. So look, no doubt the All Blacks, you look at the likes of George Bridge, Will Jordan on the weekend, and the ability to catch the ball contestable with escorts around the All Blacks, around how they can do that, so the so the, so the South Africans don't um, implement their game plan. But I think two things for the South Africans if they want to have a chance. We talked around the physicality, but I think it's their attack structure and the points that I brought up earlier because they are getting opportunities and they are getting what I did enjoy against the Wallabies that they wanted to play with the ball, and so they got their points through Pollard. They got the penalties, be able to accumulate points like that. But I think I think they're going to have to be able to score tries. And so it's when they do attack, it's being able to be nice and square and being able to fix the All Black defenders. Because I think, look, the All Blacks at the moment, their defense is, they're making really good reads around that kind of um, center and winger spot around cutting teams off and not making them get into their edge. So like, I think the likes of LaRue, when they do get off those contestable kicks and they want to play it two pass like Pollard, 
gives it to LaRue. The quick attack off that is going to be really important on how they want to attack, whether it be a 50-22 like LaRue we've seen. If it's there, it's there. But I think it's the ability on the edge and being able to fix people to be able to go through is going to be really important for them moving forward because Khaleesi brought up a really good point the last two test matches that um, they have played is that they have had opportunities, but they haven't implemented their plan to what, they've, what they've, the expectations been. So the first test match, they talked around their kicks. They didn't get the pay out of their contestables. In the second test match, they had opportunities off their line out more, which they did in the first test. They didn't get that right. When they had opportunities to score points in the second half, uh, they didn't get it. So I think for them, it's been able to get a, to get the things that they want to implement in the game and do it at a high percentage because if they don't get a high percentage and they have the similar mistakes and don't take the opportunities that they did on the weekend against the Wallabies then then for a very very long night so I'm thinking the All Blacks are going to win but I think like the Australians with the solutions of them getting better I think the South Africans will fix a few things but it's it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see if it's going to be enough for them moving forward yeah for me it comes down to a couple of areas firstly I'll start with the All Blacks is is they're more deep and discipline uh they, their discipline's been really um, clean since that uh, second test at Eden Park where uh, there was a lot of penalties um, that, that put them under pressure and the Wallabies scored from. So if, they, if they're more D and their discipline is good, then the balance of that um, should take care of that. We've spoken about their bomb defusal, uh, where they go in the back three. Those three three lads last week were pretty exceptional. Geordie with his AFL style um, and George Bridge and Will Jordan are you know, real quality um, athletes in and around that, that game. Um, and then thirdly is, do they win the collisions physically to allow them to play at the pace and speed to put defences under pressure to make the right options? And if they do, beauty, I think that will continue. But if the South Africans turn up a couple of times and, and knock them back and they're having to play off that slow ball under line speed pressure, I'm really interested to see what plans they've got in and around that, around their kick strategy or attack structure when they're playing off that slow ball. So balancing that out because you're not always going to have it your way. Then if you look on the flip side with the Springboks, I think if they stick to what they know and love around their, their, their set piece to set piece, you know, their kick strategy, but then having the ability to play when they move down the field. And by that, mm. we saw a, a try by Mpimpi against the Lions where they, they came from a line out, they went round the corner, direct carry, won the collision, direct carry, won the collision, switched back and LaRue came from the blind side, linked up and gave a great ball to Mpimbi and, and, and on a switch play scored in the corner. If you would have noticed in that uh, second half against RG, they made a lot of gains in the switch play after winning collisions around the corner. So it's an area that defensively, yes, the All Blacks have been outstanding. They know each other's system, but a couple of times on those switchback, you know, obviously a try through a great um, aerial kick, but even a couple of times when they switched back, they were they were just not as certain as we'd seen. So there's an opportunity if the Springboks want to come with the right mindset. And I think that comes around their selection. Does Elton Yanchis come in as, a, as an option on the bench so that he can you know spark things or, or chance his arm a little bit in that, that second half? So I, I said it earlier, styles make fights. Both teams love playing each other, and it is always a close contest. So don't expect mm. it just to be a given. I think it'll be a, yeah. a, a win to the All Blacks, but not as convincing as we've seen in the previous weeks. The other thing about the South Africans that you can't discount is their love of a big moment. This is the 100th test between these two countries. 
for both countries, probably the greatest rivalry in rugby. I'm sure that the, you know, the Scottish and the English might say something different or the French and the English, but really in the Southern Hemisphere, this is it. South Africa versus New Zealand, 100 test matches and the box. They love World Cups. They love big one-off games. They love those massive occasions, the rousing speeches and getting fired up for them. You only have to think about that documentary that Rossi did with the World Cup and all of the things he said to get them fired up. Bryn, they love a moment. And despite how things have gone the last couple of weeks, this is a moment for them. Oh, I think it is. They would have looked on the calendar, you know, pretty early on around, you know, playing the All Blacks, uh, you know, whether it be in New Zealand, but now we're in playing it in Australia. Yeah, like you said, Ross, it doesn't matter what uh, position they are in the world rankings-wise, um, how they're going. You know, they've had two losses, but you know, like you said, you know, they'll have messages within their group around what this week's going to be like. The emotion of the hundredth centenary between the All Blacks that adds to emotion, and so, and you look at whenever I travel to to South Africa, and Jip can probably attest to this as well. You know, they're rugby mad. They're, they're so they're so passionate when you when you go over there. So it just comes back to my point around it. Doesn't matter where they are. They're going to put up a massive front, so um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great encounter. And, and I think the fact that they're going to learn, they're going to they're going to talk around the solutions that we've talked around where they need to improve, and they'll look at the All Blacks and how how well they're playing and anything. You know, their media as well will probably be thinking around this might be it's going to be a tough encounter for the South Africans. So you know, talk you talk around coaches around bringing emotion and being able to bring messages. And I can imagine there'll be a few messages around there around their rugby room around what it's going to look like for them this coming week so i think it's going to be a great encounter the 100 test matches it's going to be um it's something that's it's going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity and you talk around moments you only play the 100th game once and so um there's still a lot for them to play for and i'm expecting a, a much better performance from the south africans moving forward well make sure you don't miss that test match the 100th test match in such an important rivalry, so storied in good and bad ways over the 100 years that they've played each other. Make sure you tune in 7pm on Sky Sport for the 100th test between the All Blacks and South Africa. As ever, thanks so much to Bryn Hall and James Parsons. More great analysis, guys. All of that work through the week, we really appreciate to let us know a little <laughs> bit more about rugby. Thank you very much and catch you all again soon on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Matewa. 